To study biblical criticisms of ancient empires is also to remind ourselves to ensure that our societies today do not become like theirs. Leon Cass often notes that ancient Egypt was the technological superpower of its age, but its obsession with certain forms of immortality on earth and its worship of Pharaoh helped create a society that stood in opposition to the Jewish approach to and treasuring of all human life. Welcome to Bible 365, Jeremiah and the Nations. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In 1998, the papers reported on a fascinating excavation by archaeologists, which allowed them to understand the scope of what was once one of the most awe-inspiring buildings of Babylon. The LA Times featured the headline, Scholars Zero In on Nebuchadnezzar's Ziggurat. The article continues, quote, Borsippa, Iraq. After 20 years of digging, Austrian archaeologists say they've determined the design of a Mesopotamian ziggurat built by King Nebuchadnezzar 2,500 years ago. The temple tower consisted of seven terraces built of millions of mud bricks and rose 231 feet, the scientists say. It probably was similar to the many ziggurats built by Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler who ordered the destruction of the ancient Jewish temple in Jerusalem, they add. The temple of Borsippa, 75 miles south of Baghdad, was constructed atop the ruins of a smaller tower from the second millennium BC. Nebuchadnezzar's temple was dedicated to Nabu, the god of science and learning in Mesopotamia and the king's protector. Wilfred Ellinger Solach, of the University of Innsbruck said that of all the temple towers built during Nebuchadnezzar's 40-year reign, the Borsippa Ziggurat has best survived the ravages of time. End quote. A society in Babel, glorying in a tower in Babel. This, of course, sounds familiar to the biblical reader. And this archaeological discovery, along with others from Nebuchadnezzar's age, allows us in a fascinating way to better understand Jeremiah's prophecies and to apply the lesson of his words to our own time. In the chapters that follow, the prophet describes the fate of many peoples, including the Philistines, Edom, Damascus. But the main emphasis at the beginning and end of these prophetic visions is on the two empires that at various points dominated the ancient world, Egypt and Babylon. For centuries, one might have read these chapters, which contain long litanies of criticism of Egypt and Babylon, without fully grasping the aspects of antiquity that were being attacked by Jeremiah. But archaeology has better enabled us to fully appreciate the thrust of Jeremiah's words. Perhaps most interesting for our purposes is Jeremiah's conclusion, in which the prophet describes the ultimate destruction of the very tyranny that had destroyed Jerusalem, Babylon, chapter 50. The word that the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet, declare ye among the nations and publicize, and set up a standard, publicize and conceal not, say Babylon is taken, Bel is confounded. Merodach is broken in pieces. Her idols are confounded. Her images are broken in pieces. For out of the north there cometh up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. This is the prophet's warning to Babylon, and we must pause to note a literary irony here. The book of Jeremiah begins with a warning to Israel of a destructive force that would emerge from an area north of the Holy Land, and that, of course, is Babylon. And now, as the same biblical book comes to a close, the prophet speaks of a destructive force that would come from an area north of Babylon and lay waste to Babylonian dominance. And this is Persia. The prophecy about Babel is a long one, with many themes, but today we will take note of the references to Babylonian architecture. Verse 52, Wherefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will do judgment upon her graven images, and through all her land the wounded shall groan. Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, 
and though she should fortify the height of her strength, yet from me shall spoilers come unto her, saith the Lord. A sound of a cry cometh from Babylon, and great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans, because the Lord hath spoiled Babylon, and destroyed out of her the great voice, when her waves do roar like great waters, and noise of their voice is uttered. So Jeremiah proclaims, and note the phrase, though Babylon should mount up to heaven, and though she should fortify the height of her strength. This seems to refer to an attempt by Nebuchadnezzar to architecturally bridge heaven and earth, and the excavated ziggurat reveals the reference. There is, moreover, in what is known as the Shoyan Collection of Antiquities, a monument made in Babel depicting Nebuchadnezzar, standing as tall as his ziggurat and describing how he glorified in building it. We have sent you the link to the image from the collection as well as the translation of the antiquity. According to the collection website, it reads, The house, the foundation of heaven and earth, ziggurat in Babylon. And then the translation of what follows. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, am I, in order to complete Etemenanki and Eurmi Imenanki. I immobilized all countries everywhere, each and every ruler who had been raised to prominence over all the people of the world, loved by Marduk from the upper sea to the lower sea, the distant nations, the teeming people of the world, kings of remote mountains and far-flung islands, the base I am filled in to make a high terrace. I built their structures with bitumen and baked brick throughout. I completed it, raising its top to the heaven, making it gleam bright as the sun. End quote. This, of course, sounds like exactly the arrogance to which Jeremiah is referring. The collection website then makes clear what happened to this architectural wonder. It was pulled down by the conquerors of Babylon. Quote, the ziggurat in Babylon was originally built around the time of Hammurabi, 1792 to 1750 BC. The restoration and enlargement began under Nabopolassar, and it was finished after 43 years of work under Nebuchadnezzar II, 604 to 562 BC. It has been calculated that at least 17 million bricks had to be made and fired. Babylon with the ziggurat was captured by Kairos, 538 BC, who pulled down the three stair ramps so the tower cannot be used as a fortress. Darius I, 519 BC, Cyrus around 483 BC, and entirely taken down by Alexander I the Great, 331 BC, due to the structural water damage caused by the removed ramps. Thus, Nebuchadnezzar's bridge between heaven and earth was destroyed by his enemies. Thus was Jeremiah's prophecy fulfilled. And it is archaeology that allows us to truly appreciate it. I am indebted here to Rabbi Yehuda Landi's excellent book, Uncovering Sefer Yirmiyahu, an archaeological, geographical, and historical perspective. As we have seen, Jeremiah begins this chapter by discussing the destruction of the idols of Babylon and concludes by focusing on the destruction of its tower. Rabbi Landi explains these latter verses, drawing an archaeology and explaining Jeremiah's intent. Quote, This seems to be a reference to the ziggurat of Babylon, which Nebuchadnezzar built in honor of his idol. Its length and width are about 91 meters, and its height is 91 meters, a tremendous height by the standards of those days. The building's construction was in the form of smaller cubes built on top of larger cubes. A total of six cubes were built, one on top of the other, and built on top of the highest cube was an idolatrous temple. The entire structure was comprised of about 17 million bricks. In a stone relief that was discovered, King Nebuchadnezzar is portrayed standing opposite this tower. The relief was probably meant to portray him bowing to his idol. This was the tallest and most significant structure in the entire city and was used for cultic purposes, but could also be used as a safe haven during an enemy invasion. The prophet emphasizes that neither the monuments, nor height, nor the strength of the building would prevent the enemies of Babylon from conquering it, end quote. 
This is fascinating. And to this point, I would add, ladies and gentlemen, that Jeremiah's words are clearly linking the vanity of the Babylonian emperor in Babel to the original Tower of Babel and the biblical criticism of that edifice. Fascinatingly, the LA Times article about the ziggurat of Borsippa interviews the head of the Austrian archaeological team, Helga Trenkwalder, who describes a previous edifice. Quote, Trenkwalder said Borsippa, being the residence of Nabu, was the center of learning in Mesopotamia. There must have been a big library of cuneiform tablets here, but we have missed it so far, she said. Among her finds are several tablets and a foundation stone with inscriptions detailing why and how Nebuchadnezzar constructed the tower in Borsippa. One text says the king wanted the Borsippa Tower built on the same design as that of the Tower of Babel, of which only the foundation survives in Babylon, seven miles to the north. Another text quotes Nebuchadnezzar as declaring that Nabu's tower should reach the skies and be no less in grandeur than that of Babel, which was dedicated to the god Marduk. And then the article adds, Alan Solich said the team's evidence from texts and excavations shows a tower of greater dimensions than ours existed in Babylon, end quote. So we are informed by this LA Times piece, which we have sent to you. Reading Jeremiah's text, we are meant to recall the original story of the Tower of Babel, which also sought to bridge heaven and earth. And, ladies and gentlemen, as we discussed in our Bible 365 analysis of Genesis, the Bible's emphasis on the building materials in Babel is important. We are told the Babylonians, in creating their tower, used brick instead of natural stone. When one creates a structure out of natural stones, my father once commented to me, every single one is unique. But with bricks, every single one is the same. And the emphasis on brick in Babel, in the story of Babel, is meant for the Bible to emphasize how in a tyranny, individuals are seen as mere bricks, not treasured. To the tyrant that rules them, they are all too replaceable. Thus, in connecting Nebuchadnezzar back to the original Tower of Babel, Jeremiah is saying, that the emperor is committing a sin that is similar to that of his architectural predecessors. Today, in order to reconnect with Jeremiah's criticism of Babel, one need not visit the excavations of the ziggurats of Iraq. In Gallery 402 of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, one can see an object dated 604 to 562 BCE titled Cuneiform Cylinder Inscription of Nebuchadnezzar II. It describes the construction of part of Babylon, and according to the website, in the cylinder, Nebuchadnezzar proclaims, quote, I built a strong wall that cannot be shaken with bitumen and baked bricks. I laid its foundation on the breast of the netherworld, and I built its top as high as a mountain, end quote. As such, Jeremiah's beginning with Egypt and ending with Babylon is significant. Both are tyrannies that attacked Israel. Both made their buildings central to their grandeur, their arrogance, and their enslavement of others. As the art historian E.H. Gombrich tells us, the pyramids of Egypt inform us of kings, quote, who are so rich and powerful that they can force thousands and thousands of workers or slaves to toil for them year in, year out, to quarry the stones to drag them to the building site. And Gombrich adds, the pyramids had their practical importance in the eyes of the kings and their subjects. The king was considered a divine being who held sway over them, and on his departure from the earth, he would again ascend to the gods whence he came. The pyramids soaring up to the sky would probably help him to make his ascent, end quote. Two empires that built buildings. Two empires that sought to bridge heaven and earth. Two empires that no longer exist. Thus, Jeremiah's prophecies inspire in a number of ways. First, there is the message that we have been pondering in the prophets throughout our studies, that for us to visit a museum, any museum, 
is to encounter empires that are now gone, empires whose artifacts connect us directly to the Bible and to the fact that the Jewish people today, a people whose might never approached that of Egypt or Babylon, nevertheless, unlike those empires, still endures. And that is promised by Jeremiah as a conclusion to his warning to Egypt. Chapter 46, the beginning of verse 27. Fear not thou, O my servant Jacob, and be not dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save thee from afar off, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. At the same time, to study biblical criticisms of ancient empires is also to remind ourselves to ensure that our societies today do not become like theirs. Leon Cass often notes that ancient Egypt was the technological superpower of its age, but its obsession with certain forms of immortality on earth and its worship of Pharaoh helped create a society that stood in opposition to the Jewish approach to and treasuring of all human life. We must, he argues, worry lest ancient Egypt become our future. In a similar sense, the story of Babel that glorified in its achievements is a reminder to us to look first and foremost to a spiritual standard that is higher than any ziggurat and to seek to build societies worthy of the biblical vision. In 1955, when Rabbi Norman Lamb was still in his 20s, he delivered a sermon on the story of the Tower of Babel, whose builders, creating an arrogant monument to their might, were punished by God with a sudden inability to speak to one another. Babel, the Torah tells us, was given its name because of the root balol, which means to confuse. Rabbi Lam, however, noted that what is often missed is that this is a pun, a sarcastic pun that is given to us by the Torah. The Mesopotamians called the city Babel because in the language of the Babylonians, the name had been derived from the words Bab-ili, which meant gate of the god, or Babyloni, gate of the gods. It is only, he said, in Hebrew that Babel is linked linguistically to the word confusion. And that, Rabbi Lam argues, is actually the point. The Bible is communicating to us that people who sought to glorify themselves in the end ended up radiating mere moral confusion. As I noted in commentary, reading the sermon today, I worry that it speaks to our own age. Biblical Babylon was marked by a towering achievement, or so it seemed. But in the end, it was just a tower. We today live in an age of technological achievements. The digital age, fostered by cell phone towers that bring us many wonderful benefits. But I do worry today that with all the incredible opportunities that we have, our many methods of communication have not made us spiritually superior, and that in our time, we are left with nothing but a culture of cacophony, a torrent of words that in the end are just so much babble. In focusing on the biblical values of the eternal people and on Jeremiah's reference to the original Tower of Babel, we are meant, to paraphrase our Lamb, to remind ourselves that rather than a generation of a tower, we are called to be a towering generation. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off. <laughs>